It doesn't seem possible, but we begin the third week of Advent this morning, just two weeks from Christmas. Mm -hmm. Bethlehem and the manger are just ahead. We're ready to hear about Mary and Joseph, the angels and the shepherds. But following the lectionary readings for the third week in Advent, we once again bump into John the Baptist on our way to Bethlehem. It's good that we do, because John asked an important question of Jesus, a critical question that speaks to our own journey of faith. Last week in Matthew 3, John was preaching to great crowds in the wilderness. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. With bold confidence, he proclaimed, I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. This week in Matthew 11, we find John pacing back and forth in a jail cell, apparently having second thoughts about Jesus. Several months have passed since John waded waist deep into the Jordan River, baptized Jesus, and heard the Father say, this is my beloved son. John, now in jail on a bogus charge, had heard about what Jesus was up to on the outside, and he found it puzzling. So much so that he sends some of his followers to ask Jesus a single burning question. As it's said in the message, are you the one we've been expecting, or are we still waiting? It's the ultimate question, isn't it? Is Jesus the Christ, the long-awaited Messiah, or not? John seemed to be wavering on his earlier confidence in Jesus, so he sends someone to ask, are you the one? We're surprised. At least I and others are surprised at John's response. Certainly John the Baptist, of all people, would have it together. Elizabeth and Mary had been pregnant at the same time. The boys had played together grown up together. They'd undoubtedly talked about the prophecies surrounding both of their births. Surely John knew who Jesus really was. So what happened to erode his confidence in Jesus? What made him question the identity of the one man he had been waiting to introduce all his life? Well, prison, for one. John was in jail. Negative circumstances have a way of blocking our view of deeper realities. Illness, unemployment, unanswered prayers, financial distress, family struggles, church struggles, or a myriad of other difficulties we may face can cause us to lose heart, to lose faith. No doubt being in jail clouded John's thinking. But the greater problem was that Jesus didn't seem to be living up to John's expectations. John knew a Messiah when he saw one, or so he thought. <laughs> the Messiah was supposed to revamp the political and religious landscape. John preached to the crowds who came to hear him in the desert. The axe is laid at the root of the tree. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. His winnowing fork is in his hands, and he will clear the threshing floor and will gather his wheat into the granary. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. That's the kind of Messiah John envisioned. 
He cleans house. He separates the good guys from the bad guys once and for all. But Jesus doesn't quite cut the figure of a Messiah for John. The Messiah was supposed to come with fire and fury, but Jesus seems to have come with a message of peace and love and reconciliation. John was hearing that Jesus' ministry consisted of going around healing people, mostly in the backwater towns of Galilee. He seems to spend lots of times with misfits and spiritual losers, whining and dining the sinners. But too little time chopping down the rotten wood that John had singled out for fiery destruction. Nothing seems much to have changed. The Pharisees and the Sadducees still in charge, and Jesus is out do-gooding in the hills of Galilee. And to top it off, Herod, the very embodiment of all that is wrong in Israel, is on the throne, and John is in jail. It's time for the Messiah to step up to the plate. It's all a big disappointment for John as he begins to doubt whether he had it right after all. Maybe God had someone else in mind to be the Messiah. John was sinking, had a sinking feeling of abandonment. The fear of having made a terrible mistake creeps into his mind, and he knows he might have to pay for it with his life. This question isn't just academic. It's very visceral, coming from deep within. Are you the one? Are you the one, or should we wait for another? It's a tough question, but we can all be glad this question was asked. So full of heartbreak and doubt, that this question is found on the lips of John the Baptist. At times in our lives, surrounded by unwelcome circumstances, we may find ourselves asking a similar question. Is Jesus the one? It's all right to ask a question like that. Yes, John did, and we can too. It's not a failure of faith. I'm reminded of the story told of Teresa of Avila, the 16th century saint, who was traveling in a carriage visiting the convents that she had founded when the wheel of the carriage flies off and the carriage gets stuck in a muddy rut. And Teresa, if you know anything of her history, in her own down-to-earth way, isn't afraid to express her honest emotions. The honest prayer that came from her heart was, Lord, if this is how you treat your friends, no wonder you have so few. <laughs> Sometimes we can feel guilty for even thinking questions like that, let alone asking them out loud. But Jesus didn't object to John's question. Jesus didn't object to John's question. He answered it. John, in fact, was right to ask. When we run away from our doubts and questions or hide them under a guise of religious activity, then they will likely grow rather than diminish. Like unpaid bills, the interest compounds and our doubts grow into disinterest, cynicism, or full-blown unbelief. At some time or other, we've all been disappointed by a Messiah who didn't live up to our expectations. That may not be as bad as it seems as we hear the story of John. It can be painful and often is, as it was for John, as it is for us. But it's not necessarily a bad thing. We're not alone. John the Baptist felt it too. But disillusionment can be a gift. When we're disillusioned, 
we discover that God doesn't always conform to our expectations. When He doesn't meet our expectations, we're drawn deeper and deeper into the mystery of who God really is and what God is really doing in our lives and in the world. The Apostle Paul, surveying the strange ways of God's Son, born in a stable, nailed to a cross, said, The foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. So locked up in a filthy, dank, and undoubtedly rat-infested prison, separated from what was going on outside, John voices his deepest doubts, and Jesus answers them. Jesus describes what he is up to in these words. Go tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. The lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the poor have the good news brought to them. For John, these words must have had a familiar ring. While they weren't a direct quotation of any one passage, they were composites of several messianic prophecies from Isaiah, and especially Isaiah 35 that was read this morning. The language would be very familiar to someone like John who was steeped in the Scriptures. Jesus was saying, this is it, John, the messianic age. The kingdom God has, of God has broken into our time, and you can see it in what I'm doing and in what I'm saying. The signs are there for anyone, especially someone like you, who knows them so well. So how could God have, John have misunderstood? How could he have been disappointed in Jesus? But when we're depressed or disappointed or disillusioned or flooded with doubts, even the truth spoken by another may not change things for us. Jesus is answering their prayers. Their child was healed. They found the job they've always wanted. They met someone and got married, and the stories go on and on. We think to ourselves, those things are all well and good, but they don't change my circumstance. Likewise, it was what Jesus was doing that troubled John, wasn't doing that troubled John. The Messianic passages that Jesus was referring to also said that God would, God would come with vengeance and with terrible recompense. That's the kind of language that galvanized John and stirred him to preach his fiery sermons. Jesus answered as he did to help John learn an important lesson in prophetic fulfillment. John had expected it to happen all at once. When Jesus came, it was supposed to be a done deal. But reality is that the day of the Lord does not fully arrive with the coming of the Messiah the first time. The blind healed, the lame walking, the poor being cared for, all good. But when are the Romans going to get theirs, John was thinking. Jesus explains that the day of mercy has come, the day of healing, the day of preaching the grace of God's favor. But still to come is the day of judgment when all wrongs will be made right and God's justice will triumph. Still to come is the day when the groaning of creation will cease. Jesus, who is the Messiah, the Christ, comes first in apparent weakness to save sinners, to show God's grace to the lowly and the afflicted. It's only later when he returns in glory that all things will be made right and creation will be made new. Hallelujah. John wants it all to happen now, but God in his mercy withholds judgment. 
God is disappointed. John is disappointed, as we often are when Jesus doesn't do what we think he needs to do when we need him to do it. Jesus is helping John see that while the kingdom of God has come, God will fulfill his promises in his own time and in his own way. That's why Jesus ends his reply to John with a beatitude. Did you hear the beatitude this morning? Tailor-made for him and tailor-made for all of us who are at times tempted to wonder where Jesus is in the midst of our circumstances. Jesus said, Blessed is anyone who does not fall away on account of me. Don't misunderstand these words of Jesus. They aren't meant to jab John's tender conscience or to reprimand his doubts. No, Jesus' answer to John addresses him where he is. Jesus says, in effect, you will be blessed, John, if you don't throw the whole thing away because I'm different than you expected. Blessed are those who take no offense at me. Literally, it means who don't trip over me or stumble over me. John was tempted to stumble over God's unexpected ways. His life had fallen apart and nothing important really seemed to be changing. Even worse, the whole thing seemed headed for certain defeat. Perhaps John already sensed his own impending death. And maybe he's wondering where the same, the same might happen to Jesus. Jesus didn't chide John for having a hard time figuring things out. That's important to know. Jesus didn't chide John for having a hard time figuring things out. Jesus didn't deny that his ministry was rather surprisingly quiet and small and happening rather out-of-the-way locales. No matter how small or surprising the revelation of himself, Jesus was the Christ, the Messiah, that John had first recognized when he was baptized him in the Jordan River. Jesus was doing God's work and speaking God's word. The power of God's spirit was on Jesus, even if that spirit was not manifest himself in the scorching ways that John had always envisioned. It was all true. He was the Messiah. It is the Messiah. But believing that, that it was all true required that John accept the peculiar shape that Jesus' ministry was taking. In John's mind, he had drilled a, a round hole to make way for Jesus' ministry, but the actual ministry looked like a square peg. In essence, John said, Blessed is anyone who doesn't trip over the real me or how and when I choose to work. Blessed is anyone who doesn't trip over me, over the real me, or how and when I choose to work. Sometimes, like John, we wonder if Jesus is the one. The litany of another preacher put it this way. We thought we would be, he would make our lives easy, but he calls us to live more deeply. We thought he would erase, erase our suffering, but we discovered him next to us in our pain. We thought we could put us on top, but he tells us to identify with those on the bottom. We thought he would make us strong, but he calls us to learn strength through weakness. We thought he would make us leaders, but he invites us to be servants. We expected him in the spectacular, but the signs of the kingdom come through ordinary, hidden acts of love and self-sacrifice. Like John the Baptist, Jesus can fall short of our expectations sometimes. 
I, for one, am glad that John the Baptist had the courage to face his doubts and bring them to Jesus, wrapped in the question, are you the one? And I'm glad, too, that Jesus didn't chide John for asking, but received his question with grace and answered with compassion because he knew that John was simply trying to figure things out. That may be where some of you are this Advent season. You're trying to figure things out. Jesus may have disappointed you in some way. He hasn't come through for you in the way you thought he would or should, and you're not quite sure what you should do with your disappointment or doubts. May I suggest that you do what John the Baptist did. Bring your disappointments, your disillusionments, your doubts to Jesus. Here at the table, here at the table, bring the questions, the tears, the wondering, the pain, the disappointment, the doubts. Bring it all to Jesus at the table. Like John, Jesus will receive your questions with grace and compassion. He won't turn away. He wants you to know that you can truly lean the full weight of your being on his trustworthiness. The full weight of your being on his trustworthiness. And I close with this. Frederick Beekner wonderfully captures the hope in this story of John the Baptist in his book, The ABCs of Faith. I close with his retelling the story as only Beekner could. Finally, John decided to settle things once and for all and sent a couple of his disciples to put it to Jesus straight. John wants to know if you're the one we've been waiting for or whether we should cool our heels a while longer. Jesus said, go tell John what you've seen around here. Tell him there are people who have sold their seeing eye dogs and taken up bird watching. <laughs> Tell them there are people who have traded in aluminum walkers for hiking boots. Tell them the down and out have turned into the up and coming and they're living it up for the first time in their lives. Nobody knows how John reacted when his disciples came back with Jesus' message, but maybe, Maybe he remembered how he felt that day when he had first seen Jesus heading toward him through the tall grass along the riverbank and how his heart had skipped a beat when he heard himself say, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And maybe after he remembered all that and put it together with what had been told about the down and outers and the aluminum walkers, maybe he decided he must have been right the first time. This morning, the rose-candled calendar in Advent is lit to remind us that our journey to Bethlehem and the birth child is a journey into joy. A journey into joy. I'm reading between the lines here, but I imagine that John may very well have stepped into joy in that jail cell when his eyes were opened to the fact that Jesus was the one after all. May your journey, may my journey, this Advent, these remaining weeks of Advent, be a journey into joy. As we celebrate the truth that Jesus is all he revealed himself to be and more. Yes, a thousand times yes, Jesus is the promised one, our rock and our redeemer. Amen and amen.